Welcome back to the Sip and Feast podcast, episode number 40, how to make amazing food on an extremely tight budget. Tara, I love this one. Great idea. Tara often picks the topics. She's going to get into defining it, the problem in a sec. I just want to let you know that today, today, because you asked for it, a lot of you did, and you gave me a lot of uh, messages, not just through our email, but also through Instagram. We suggested in episode number 39 that we might start doing taste tests. Well, guess what? We got things to taste test today, and I'm really excited about this. I know you are too, right, Tara? Yeah, especially because I haven't eaten anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's going to contribute more to my waistline that I'm going to be taste testing in the middle of the day now, but we're going <laughs> to not eat the whole entire box of that thing over there, and we will save it to later. If you do like this taste test segment, we will be making it a regular edition here, but it's not, it's not going to happen so far unless you say that you like it. So you let us know. Tara, set up the problem for today's episode. So this is not the first time in history that folks have been experiencing what they would consider to be kind of like a crunch on their finances or on their their wallets. And unless you are ultra high net worth individuals or families, you are likely experiencing the downstream effects of inflation and you know, some of the other things that have happened over the course of the past three years or so. Um, so as we were thinking about this topic, I got to thinking, all right, you know, this is something, like I said, that it's not the first time in history this has happened. Our ancestors, Italian or otherwise, have all experienced this. But I say Italian because there is a phrase in Italian that kind of lends itself to this amazing food on a budget. And it's the phrase cucina povera, which translates literally to poor kitchen. And it was basically the concept of taking food that was inexpensive and that was available to you and using it in so many different ways, shapes, and forms to get yourself delicious meal that your family would like. So we're going to get into Cucina Povera in a little bit, but I thought it would be helpful if I referenced something from an article that I had read. I'm going to read this. It's directly yeah. from an article that was in Nerd Wallet, and it basically talks about the price of food. So here are just some bullet points. The index for food at home is 1.2% higher year over year. From December to January, grocery store grocery costs rose by 0.4%. Restaurant patrons are still paying more, 5.1% for food than they did a year ago, and the price index rose half a percent from December to January. Specifically, limited service meals takeout only rose 5.8% year over year, while full-service, sit-down restaurants meals rose 4.3% year-over-year. Mm. Overall, the annual food inflation rate has been declining for more than a year. So I read these articles, too. Uh, that's how, the one Nerd Wallet. There was also one, it's more recent, probably. Probably when you get, when, when this one goes live, it will probably be eight days ago. It was in the Wall Street Journal, but Wall Street Journal has a paywall. So we wanted to link one here that, that you can read on your own if you don't have a subscription to the Wall Street Journal, which uh, we don't, okay? When I originally clicked on it, it was open, then it was then it was gone, so I had I couldn't read the rest of it. But anyway, both of these articles, and there's plenty more, are all stating the same thing, that the bulk of the problem right now, currently, um, if you go by you know this, the government data that's supplied, is that it's in the restaurant industry. The bigger increases in food at, you know, supermarkets and basically when you're making your own stuff happened prior to that. So, you know, optimistically, maybe we're at the end of this. Uh, who knows? We, we don't know for sure. I personally don't believe we are. I think once these prices rise that they don't really come back down. I, I will just say restaurants in general have been something that Tara and I have been pulling back from a lot lately. We still go to like a local diner right around here that it's like a place I think that people just live in this town go to. And that one I'm fine with, but a lot of the more expensive restaurants we have just been stopping because the bill has gone up probably for four people has probably gone up, I'd say a hundred dollars 
or in the last year or two. Like we used to be able to go out for a family of four to a relatively nice meal for about 150 to maybe 180 would tip, I would say. Mm-hmm. Does that sound about right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. N- now it's very hard for it to be, I mean, God, it's coming It's coming to $300 now. And, and we don't like, we don't even really drink. I, I might have one beer. I don't, it's not like I'm ordering six beers. Yeah. And, you know, God forbid, if you want to save money, don't do that at a restaurant, like ordering like a double uh, scotch or something. Like you'll get like a $35 bill for, for that one drink. We don't do that. We do get appetizers. We do sometimes get dessert. We let the kids order anything they want. So, you know, look, it it can be cheaper. But I will just say simply, it is getting a little bit out of range, I think, for us to go out so regularly. So we are really pulling back on that. And, you know, a lot of the food that we've made for years now, whether it's on the channel or on the website, has been these very, very inexpensive meals that we all love. I love them. I think they're great. And, you know, you can fancy them up fancy them up and make them more expensive, but you truly don't have to. That's true. And the one thing that I wanted to mention is that some of these recipes that we're going to talk about, many of them happen to be meatless, right? Because meat was often the food of the wealthier folks. So when we're talking about food on a budget, a lot of these are meatless. And these also happen to be popular recipes during this time of year because we are in the season of Lent. Correct. Catholics will often observe Lent by fasting. Um, And when I say fasting, I mean that they'll either abstain from eating meat on Fridays during Lent or some abstain the entirety. That's right. Of Lent. So it's actually interesting for us to see as people who have a food website, there is an uptick in the traffic to some of these what we would consider cucina povera type of That's recipes during right. this time of year leading up to Easter. That's right. There's a huge uptick and it's almost like there's it's it, there's a big uptick in those recipes, but there's a massive downtick in our other recipes. Mm-hmm. So it's very apparent. Uh, not sure where you follow us. If you do follow us on our Facebook page, which has its own very unique audience, there's a lot of people that just don't like to leave Facebook. Yeah. Like we know, like your mother, like that's, you know, her platform. And well, she does listen to the podcast. Okay. Though, well, so. hi, hi, Linda. Not not insulting you. I'm just saying like, you know, she, she is representative of certain group of people, I would say over the age of 50, that Facebook is like their platform of choice. So on there, we can, we post like four or five recipes a day. We put up a video almost every day, other every other day. And we know really well what people are eating by how many times it gets shared or the amount of comments. And comments kind of plummet for certain recipes that have meat in it and comments start exploding for these type of recipes and also the recipes when Lent finishes. So like Pizza Gaina, mm-hmm. you know, that one has meat in it. That's the one that you have on Easter Sunday mm-hmm. when you're finally able to eat meat again. I think some people, don't they eat that at midnight? Midnight, midnight. So the day- to break, yeah. like break their, yeah. their meat fast. They'll, they're yeah. eating it exactly when it's over. And then- Another one that we have, and we're actually going to taste test it today. It's right here, this guy. So that is for St. Joseph's Day. So we spoke about this, I think it was in the previous episode or the one before. Uh, a listener said they wanted stuff with pastry cream. So we went ahead and made it. So that those tick up the uh, Easter pie, which is called pastiera. Pastiera napolitana. That picks up too. But mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of these regular meat dishes start plummeting. So us being the content creators or whatever that you want to call us, we want to serve you the stuff that you want to eat right now. Mm-hmm. And you might be really strict about this. You might be like, Jim, I'm, I'm per- like, I don't miss starting Lent. Though, hasn't like the Pope changed the rules like over the years? Uh, I've heard that if you're over a certain age, you don't have to observe the fasting rules. I've heard that. I know sometimes if... St. Patty's Day falls on a Friday. The Pope will say, you can you can eat your corned beef. Yeah. So the current Pope Tower, Pope Francis, is allowing, I guess, more more of that. And the previous Pope was like much stricter on everything. So, you know, times are times are a changing. But but there are certain people that no matter what the Pope says, are gonna stick to their guns and will only do the meat-free stuff. Yeah, and it's not just 
Catholics that observe yeah. the fasting. I have a Greek friend and she abstains from meat, dairy, yeah. anything. She basically eats a vegan diet for all of Lent. Yeah. So it's a cultural thing. Definitely. I mean, religion, I found it on religion, but more so a cultural thing, I would say, in the United States anyway. It is super cultural. And it's funny that you say that because I was thinking about pizza when I was a kid, and tell me if you experienced this, when I was a kid, no matter what Friday it was, Friday in Lent or not, we would always order pizza. But I would always notice that during Lent, the pizza parlors would just like be completely packed. And exactly. you had to wait at two hours for a pie because so many people wanted to eat something without meat That's during right. Lent. And I guess they're just like, I guess it was a downtick. A downtick in Chinese restaurants probably during <laughs> yeah. that time. Yeah. 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 No, I, again, I think times are changing though. I don't think pizzerias get the same amount of uptick as they did 20 or 30 years ago. I don't know. Before we get into the solution, I know we glossed over very, very quickly this inflation issue. It's better that we gloss over it quickly instead of trying to pretend like we're economists. All right. That being said, I, you know, I think I'm relatively financial financially savvy with this stuff. I spent 15 years in the financial markets. I was watching this stuff for 60, 70 hours a week. It's like, it was my life. And I will tell you simply, but I'm not an economist, okay? I will tell you simply, I do think things are different now. And I don't think they're going back. I don't think that $300 dinner that we were just saying for four, I don't think that's going back to $150. You know, if you go, if you dig into the article more, Egg prices are down huge this huge this year, but Recently, they were but they were up massive. So it's right. like where that's the whole thing. Like you got to be careful what you what you look at here. It's all done with a political bent. You know whether you like the guy on the right, the guy on the left, or or none of the guys. They're all trying to spin it to help them. You have an election coming up. It's very apparent. Like oh, if I say inflation is down five percent year over year, hey, that's amazing. But guess what? If I Zoom out to three years, inflation is up massively. And I think we all intuitively know, no matter who we like politically or we don't like any of them, okay, we don't like any of these people, we know that things are not what they were just a few years ago. It is very apparent. You could save more in the stores, obviously, because you could buy the generic brand of ketchup, you know, cheese, mayo, whatever. You don't have the ability to do it in the restaurants, okay? That's pretty much it. Do you want to add anything to that before we give a no, solution? I think that sums it up. I, I mean, we're trying to give you the solution here by just saying, like, just don't eat out, you know, and make these well, dishes. Some We're giving you, we want to give you ideas of dishes to make at home that will be a little bit easier on your budget. Like, you, of course, you could say, don't go to the restaurant, eat at home. But if you eat at home and you go to the store and you buy, or if you go to one store in particular and you buy a filet mignon, you're not really saving that much money. So- the recipes that we're going to talk about kind of fit within that cucina povera bucket. Absolutely. And by the way, I'm glad you brought up the filet mignon because we put out a recipe for beef marsala. Mm -hmm. It was a few weeks ago on the main YouTube channel. And I spoke about in the video that the filet we bought at Costco was $19 a pound, I believe, yes. right? Yes. It was how much at Whole Foods? It was over forty, or yeah. it was thirty nine ninety nine, or something like that. Yeah, I think it. I think you said thirty nine. So mm -hmm. thirty nine dollars, which is double the price. It's not prime at the Whole Foods either. This is that was not prime beef. No, that was, it was their grass fed. Grain. It wasn't. No, it wasn't. It wasn't grass even grass fed. It was not grass fed. Yeah. Honestly, the quality is worse than Costco. It, it is. So because a lot of comments were like, "Well, you get what you pay for." That's better. It's not better. I'm, I'm telling you, I've, I've purchased a lot of beef over the years at both of these places. And it is where your shop work can make a huge difference. One more thing about the beef one, people were going nuts about, they saying, well, you can't cook it rare or medium rare at Costco because they blade tenderize. Okay, this is a very popular topic. I saw somebody mention that. Very popular topic. Costco puts on their labels that they blade tenderize. USDA says that all companies have to put it on the label if they engage in this process. Do you know what blade tenderizing is? No, Jim. Can you educate me, please? It's these little tiny needles that they put through the beef to make it more tender. Okay. So by them putting these needles into the beef, it's 
transferring bacteria into the beef, thus why you should not be- Correct. Cooking them medium rare? Correct. Okay. So on the label of Costco, it says you gotta cook it to, I think medium well, which is ridiculous. But um, Costco's not the only one engaging in this behavior. A butcher friend of mine told me that almost every place engages in this behavior, which I found crazy because everybody in the comments kept saying that Costco's the only one that engages in it. Mm -hmm. I think Costco's the one who tells you they engage in it. Now, that being said, Costco doesn't engage in it when it comes to filet mignon. Because filet mignon oh. is so tender already. They don't have what's to. The, what's the point of blade tenderizing yeah. that thing? Just something to keep in mind if you, if, if, you know, about the difference between those two places. We don't earn a, a dime from Costco, but we do feel that Costco is one of the best inflation, best ways for you to battle inflation that exists, yeah. bar none. Yeah, think of them as like kind of your shepherd throughout, <laughs> throughout I mean, the world right now. It's crazy. Again, we're not sponsored by them at all, but we would like to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, we would. That's something... I, you know, a lot of companies I don't feel good about. That one I feel good about. So mm -hmm. let's, well, let's move yeah, on to I the mean, solution. That's you talk, you're like in love with them. Hey, you know what? I, I'm being, trying to be I, real. I'm trying no, to be I real know. here. Before you were even doing this for a living, you were obsessed with Costco. And I'm not the only one. No, I know. You know, like, I mean, you go in there, it's, but like, you know, what's even crazy about it? Now I'm going on a Costco rant. Okay. So you go to Costco. And you pull, you go there and it's packed, the parking lot. You get in there, you're getting all your food. And then it's like, oh God, there's so many people online. The line's all the way at the end of the store by the meat area. But they still get you out of there often quicker than you mm -hmm. would get out on a four-person line at Target, you know? Yeah. It's... it's they're really, they're really well run. They take care of their employees too. Yeah. They pay them well yeah. and they get like retirement, they get healthcare. Yeah. I guess they they really truly go by the customer is always right mantra, which is kind of not normal these days. It, it's not. it, it isn't. Yeah. So uh I like Costco. Do you? Yeah. So yeah, we spoke about the, the problem, let's go into the solution. We have a bunch of bullets here. Tara's gonna read them off and I'll do my uh, expert commentary that you're all here for. As I mentioned, cucina povera is really the concept of using what's available to you and not letting anything go to waste. And again, meat was often not part of it. If meat ever was part of it, it was often the parts of the animal that the wealthy rejected. So like tripe, tongue, liver, those, those bits. Yeah those bits and pieces. Um, but we're not really gonna get into to that. We're gonna mainly talk about the, the meatless ones. Um, the first recipe that comes to mind for me that is a great example of this type of cooking is polpette di pane, which are meatballs yep. with no meat. Yeah. They're just made from bread. And I'm gonna let you talk about this in a second. But what I, what I have a memory of, and I've seen so many comments from folks, whenever we post this recipe on Facebook, it's often not just made by itself. So if you're making like chicken cutlets mm. or something else where you're breading something and you, ha or maybe eggplant parm, yep. where you have breadcrumbs and egg, a lot of times instead of discarding the leftover eggs and breadcrumbs, Whoever was was making it would yeah. kind of use it to form either a patty or like a little That's the meatball. true definition. Like you'd right. let nothing go to you waste. You would never get rid of it. But the recipe that you have is not, you know, using the leftover bits. It's actually just making them from yeah, and those ingredients. So again, we don't, and maybe you don't need to save every single thing. So this is kind of like by providing a recipe from scratch for you, it would be something that Maybe you want to do a meatless meal. You're vegetarian. You want to do something like an homage to the past, to your ancestors, what they would have did because what they would have done because they actually really were in bad financial straits. So it's great, and they are interesting when you make them from scratch. It's a little different than if you were to make them with the leftover remains mm -hmm. of the chicken cutlet. Uh, breadcrumbs and batter. And by the way, if you're doing chicken cutlets properly, if you're doing eggplant parm properly, you are always going to have leftover breadcrumb 
and leftover egg. Because the last thing you want to do is have to keep adding more breadcrumb as you go, because then you're going to have to keep reseasoning those breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. Because remember, you're mixing the cheese, the parsley, uh, your seasonings into those breadcrumbs. So you kind of have extra, and you don't really want to save those extra breadcrumbs because they've been contaminated now with the chicken yeah. that's already touched them. Yeah, so you, you don't really want you don't save them. Yeah, well, some people <laughs> would either, save them. Well, you shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, unless you want to get sick. Yeah. You can either discard them or you can make yeah. one of these things. Yeah. So again, this this recipe we did from scratch though, and I gave proper measurements and it will be enough to feed a family of four. I suggest if you do make this recipe, say you want to try it. You're like, Jim, I've never heard of this before. Uh, let me, I want, I want to give it a shot. So the people who've made it and there's been a good amount of reviews have really enjoyed it. So I suggest when you make it, you follow the recipe exactly. It will feed four people and then- also, you could add an extra can of tomatoes and then do a pound of pasta with it. This whole entire meal, and we're going to, I'll define roughly for you the cost of everything as we tell you these solutions, because these are solutions. This whole entire thing for your polpette de panna meatballs, which are technically bread balls, and your pasta and your sauce and everything is going to be under $5 per person for a family of four. And that's, I'm being generous with 20. It's probably substantially less than that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially if you make your own breadcrumbs, then you're not even using the canned breadcrumbs. So you're saving money there and you know, make your own breadcrumbs by just saving your bread. Mm -hmm. You used homemade breadcrumbs for that one, didn't you? I think I did. And I don't always use homemade breadcrumbs because a lot of the stuff we do for our videos is a matter of uh, timing and convenience. We're trying to film them quick before the kids get home and it's- prepping it in advance, stuff like that. So sometimes we will do that. But I, I do try to make the breadcrumbs when I can. Mm -hmm. They're so but good. But I, I have to think in advance to have the bread. That's right. That, that's the issue. Right. Well, so yeah. I don't just I mean, have a lot of bread If you're truly around. making this from that Cucina Pavara standpoint, you would have the bread and it would kind of be going, yeah, starting to go stale and you wanted to use it so you didn't have to spend more money That's right. on a meal. Yeah. Other examples, Jim, and I want you to talk about yeah. these a little bit more, are the like legume and grain yeah. combinations. So yeah. we have a few of these. What Do you want to talk a little bit about them? Yeah, I, we've spoken about these recipes. Because these recipes are so iconic to Italian-American, especially people here in this Northeast cor corridor of the United States. They are the recipes that you probably have grown up with. And they're probably the recipe, they're probably the type of food that you ate the most of. If my upbringing was similar to yours, they probably are. Uh, I, I joke in some videos when I break out a whole bunch of little pastas. Like I actually, it's actually an upcoming video. It's not out yet. I, I like to show Tara some of the parts. And even though she's sitting in back of the camera, sometimes she forgets. But we were uh, doing wedding soup. And I know there's already a wedding soup on the site. That was a turkey meatball wedding soup. This is a traditional one with, you know, brodo and your uh, beef and pork little tiny meatballs. But I brought out the, the typical pasta that would go in it would be something called a chini de pepe, or as an Italian American slang would be agita pop, agita pep, right? Mm -hmm. I, how do you do it? I, how does my mom say it? Agita pep. Ajita pep. So she says it so quickly. I'm like, I'm like, I don't even understand what you're saying. And then, then she shows me in a box one day, and I'm like, that's what you're making. This is like when I was like <laughs> ten years old. You know, instead of uh, ricotta, it's regat, stuff like that. Anyway, the little pasta is uh, a chini de pepe is the one that you would normally use. But I wanted to bring out all my pasta collection, and I had like six different containers. You're like an old Italian nona. Yeah, I mean, your <laughs> because you're often in these recipes, you're not using the full pound, but you got to save them, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So I had like all selection. I labeled them, the date and everything. And uh, if I go to my mom's pantry, she will have the same exact stuff to this day. And she always had it when I was a kid, and my grandmother always had it too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, very common that your grandmother had it as well. So as far as the actual recipes, pasta vizzoul or pasta fagiole, pasta ichechi, pasta lentiki, pasta patat, mm -hmm. pasta pizzelli, pasta, God, you can do anything with this. You can use butternut squash. You can use zucchini. You can, really the technique is essentially you're cooking the pasta in the whatever thing you just sauteed, the onion 
and then you're adding just enough liquid and you're letting the starch release from the pasta as you cook it. You know, if you do a butternut squash one, it'll turn orange. You could do this with red bell pepper. Uh, There's a lot of different ways, but the ones I rattled off in the beginning are the most iconic, pasta vizool probably being the most. And the hardiest, I would say, because when you're adding like a bean, a legume, there's more protein, right, in the meal than if you were to use, like you said, like just pasta and zucchini. Yeah, pasta and zucchini is a really good one though. Not zoodles though. No, I actually saw them in the store the other day. You did? I do like the zoodles because normally if we, like when we have pasta, I will give myself a super tiny serving yeah. of it, or I will use bonza pasta. We didn't discuss that when I was when I was going after r- ripping on zoodles uh, in episode number thirty nine. I just want to make the point that, and I didn't. I don't even think I said it. You would just. You should use the machine to do it. You shouldn't buy the prepared zoodles from the store. How are they keeping them? Like a zucchini is not going to store well. What are they keeping in the bag and they put like um. Some type of preservative agent probably, on it. Probably, yeah. Probably, yeah. It's yeah. in the refrigerated section. They pump I mean, air it's... into it, into the bag, and then seal it. Yeah, it's usually in like like a half of a clamshell with like a seal, like almost how some lettuces would come. Yeah, it looks like that. I mean, somebody had their hands all over that too. So like, well, no, it should just go through the zoodle zoodle. Yeah, but then they're like, you know, you know, some guy named Larry's in the back, and he's just like, you know, he's not like, Bob. Ugh. He's like, uh, I'm not, I'm going easy on Bob today. He's like, <laughs> let me take all my zoodles and put them all in the containers and then seal them up. And it's <laughs> I don't like, think Larry's doing that. It's like, ugh, you I, know, I don't like th- I would at least do it yourself. I think if Larry's u- doing that, he's using gloves. I don't, I'm not really concerned with that. All right, you are. Another way, another solution is to use leftovers in new ways. So for example, we talked about stale bread, but it doesn't just have to be turned into breadcrumbs. You are correct. And I just want to go back. All those dishes that I just spoke about, those are all easily under 20. They're, they're pretty much under $10 meals, which would be like $2 per person. That's right. Yeah. Sorry right. for interrupting. No, yeah. it's okay. So you don't just have to use your stale bread to make breadcrumbs. Right, you can make a panzanella salad. Ooh, nice. That is one of the true definitions of cucina povera. Definitely. How would you make a panzanella salad? We don't have a, we don't have a recipe on our website, which is a huge gap in my opinion. Yeah. I've been telling you for years, you got to get one on there. <sighs> yeah. But tell our listeners how they can make a panzanella salad. It's okay. easy. Really quickly. So the, the panzanella is that the traditional panzanella, the cucina povera recipe is something that is like an afterthought. The most of the panzanella that you're when you're googling, you're seeing some elaborate like grilled peaches and like very expensive greens and champagne vinaigrette and blah 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 and it's like a, a burrata or goat cheese, it's like a $90 salad at that point. But <laughs> the real way to do it would simply be just day old bread, okay? You could dry it out yourself if you want. You could take fresh bread and dry it out. Cubes a red wine vinaigrette. Okay, maybe some parsley, a little bit of herbs, uh, some red onion, a couple tomatoes. That's your standard cheap panzanella salad. Mm -hmm. That's like a $4 salad uh, total, you know, $5 salad. But the other ones are beautiful. I I mean, uh, if we put them on the site, I'm going to probably do the beautiful one, I would think. Or maybe start with the standard and then give options of Mm -hmm. like what to do. Well, it's funny. As we're talking about this, I'm just thinking how the food that was once the food of the poor is now becoming, you know, a little bit fancier. Like you said, like the panzanella salad with the burrata and the aged balsamic. And, you know, it's not, it's not what it was intended for. And that's the other, Yeah. yeah. The other thing I was just thinking of too, which used to be considered the food of the poor would be salt cod, right? Oh, bacala. Yeah. But now when so if you want to make bacala, it's really expensive. Yeah, so it, it's no longer the food of the poor. It's tw- bacala is $20 here a pound, sometimes 25. If you go on Amazon, it's like $55 yeah. a pound. I mean, it's ridiculous. You're trying to make the most poor dish and you're spending so much on it. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that that's where that's happened. So it's kind of in the same vein as using like leftover stuff to make something else. I have, um, anytime we have leftover potatoes, especially, I like to use those to make a frittata. Perfect. And I think frittata kind of would fall in that same bucket. You know, eggs, while they have 
gone up in price through the years, they still are relatively yeah. inexpensive and can be used to make some really wonderful meals. Definitely. Like frittata. That's what I have to say about that. Yeah, so we'll price it for, I mean, a frittata, say you're buying like farm, uh, farm fresh eggs, the really good ones, and you're spending $7 on a dozen. For frittata for like a 10 inch, 11 inch cast iron, you're gonna need about 10 eggs. You can do 12 if you want. You can do eight. Use those leftover potatoes. I would put in a nice amount of Pecorino Romano. Um, probably one of our favorite ones is in its recent recipe we put out is with sun-dried tomatoes. And, you know, but you can put do anything you want in here. So still price per person, you're still talking a couple dollars per person, which is awesome. And, and the price is maybe even less than that because you're using leftover potatoes, Yeah, leftover right? potatoes. So uh, honestly, you could almost think ahead and say you're having like, uh, a meat and potato dish, roasted potato dish, instead of doing your normal, maybe you do three pounds for your family, do five or six pounds. Have the leftover potatoes, portion them, maybe portion them twice, chop them up. You need about one and a half pounds of uh, potatoes cubed for a frittata. Portion them. You could even freeze them or whatever, and you can have like two frittatas. You can have like one on Monday and one on yeah. Friday, and then your kids will really love you, you know? You can even, what I do, I don't even save the the raw potatoes if we make like roasted potatoes even if they're like cut into wedges you can save whatever is left over and then you just cut it up yeah. and you throw it in the frittata so it really Absolutely. is it and that's really what I is meant. that easy that's what i meant yeah. i meant just save it one and a half pounds yeah. per per frittata yeah and i joked like your kids will love you our our kids do tend to complain a little bit with a frittata i think because it's not they feel like they're not going to be full right do you feel that I think James has come around. He really likes the frittata. Every time he eats one of the frittatas that we make, he's like, this is the best frittata yet. Yeah. So I, I think he enjoys okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. And it is filling. It, I mean- It's potatoes, egg, cheese. What's not filling about it? Relati then, relatively speaking. So a, a, an egg is 90, 90 to 100 calories. So you get 12, uh, 12 in a dozen. So you're at 1,200 calories if you used a full dozen. Add the potatoes in. I mean, maybe total. It's still a little light for a dinner, you know, when you divide that by four people. Mm -hmm. Well, light for me anyway. You know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. The next one I have is extend the meal with bread. Oh, yeah. You So use bread or breadcrumbs to extend the meal. So if you're making meatballs, actual meatballs with meat, but you want to extend it and make more meatballs yeah. than you usually would, like double the amount. They'll just be heavier on the breadcrumbs and lower yeah. on the lower on the beef. That's a good idea. There is nothing wrong with doing that either. I do like to point out some of the critiques we get, and that'll be a common one. They'll be like, I think it was for the Swedish meatballs we did recently. They're like, you just ruined it by putting more breadcrumbs in. I did not ruin it. And- First of all, I'm cooking for me, all right? I'm cooking for my family. I'm showing you techniques on how to do it better and save. You're not ruining something by doing that. And, you know, again, when people are tight on money, they might only have half a pound or three-quarter pound of the meat in there. Mm -hmm. They might have a lot more breadcrumbs because they did really need to extend it. And they just didn't have a choice. And using breadcrumbs or, you know, in the, in the case where maybe you're gluten-free, you can use rice. Though that makes a great stuffing for vegetables. So stuffed zucchini, stuffed mm. peppers, stuffed eggplant. You can really extend that by adding absolutely breadcrumbs. Absolutely. Yeah. What else do you got? I do have one if you maybe yeah. you missed. No, I that's okay. everything I have. So why okay. don't you why don't you talk about it? I'm gonna give one that's this is a good one. It's not the cheapest, but it still can feed a ton of people. Riso Al Forno. Mm -hmm. Okay. I actually thought of that when we were talking about the pasta and grain because you have the peas in it and you have the rice, but there is meat in our version. Our version, but most of the recipes that I see online for like traditional Sicilian cooking, mm -hmm. they'll it will have like zucchini, maybe bell pepper, uh, eggplant. It won't have any meat, mm -hmm. so it's a good vegetarian or vegan dish that you, that you could make. I wanted to do the meat to bulk it up, and our recipe is kind of bulky, you know, with that chopped meat, and I think I did ground beef and ground pork. I'm not positive, and um, and I put in a uh, scamorza cheese. Mm -hmm. So 
which it is, which is it's expensive hardy. cheese too. It's hardy. Yeah. If you're gluten-free, that is actually one of the best dishes to replicate the baked pasta taste. Yeah. In my opinion, it tastes just like baked pasta. Hugely popular, uh, I think, right? It's gotten a lot of comments on mm-hmm. the website. It has, yeah. I think it's got almost a million views on, on the channel. So, you know, views don't necessarily mean that it's a good recipe or not. Though you get enough views and people come back and they tell you it's good, then it's a good indicator. Often, I don't like doing this, and I'm going on a tiny bit of a tangent here. I don't like doing this, but today, for example, we had a comment on the poposo. So the poposo is a Tuscan beef uh, pepper stew. So today's comment was that all the liquid evaporated, and it was a nice comment, all right? Oh, they yeah, weren't, yeah, they yeah. weren't saying anything bad. No, she was asking yeah. what she can do in the future when yeah. she makes it again to yeah. make sure that there's. Do you remember more her liquid. name offhand or not? Kathy. So Kathy, if you listen to this podcast, I, I, I'm I mentioning your comment from today. It's probably that you weren't using the same type of pot I was using, a, a Dutch oven with a tight-fitting lid. If you have a tight-fitting lid, you will get a minor amount of evaporation. That means that it will still escape through the top. But in that oven, um, I think it's at 300 degrees, maybe 275, it will be a very slow amount, and you will be left with a nice amount of liquid. Now, traditionally... This doesn't supposed to have tomato paste, and it's supposed to not be thickened. It is a thin you don't, broth. Hold on. You don't do it in the oven. I don't do it in the oven. You okay. do it on the stovetop. I do it on the stovetop. But listen, any recipe that's on the stovetop or oven, if you do it on a stovetop, you're doing it on low heat with a covered. It's about the same thing as being at 300 degrees in the oven. And you can do either or here. But what I will say is... Kathy, if you know you followed the recipe you did on the stovetop, you, you probably got excess evaporation and you might have had your heat a little bit too high. That's all I can think here. Be, and I'm saying this simply because since the video does have so many views and so many comments on the video and the site about how it turned out exactly how we made it for people, that that's the evidence into itself. We always try to diagnose if somebody had an individual issue the problem, we've also had a few comments saying that this dish was destroyed, too much pepper. It has an extremely large amount of pepper, but the pepper mellows. You can look at some recipes, you can look at like some uh, other people who've made a video for it. They use even more pepper than we do. But that is another one that, a comment that we get occasionally with it. And when I mean occasionally, it's like one or two of those comments per 100 mm-hmm. of the positive ones. Yeah. So it's, if we get a few bad ones of the same thing, that it means that like I got to go back and fix it. But the reason that we don't really get them is because I'm making the video for you. That's kind of like our ace in the hole versus say a food blog that doesn't make videos or a food blog that makes TikTok videos or reels because you can omit everything in them. I'm showing you the whole entire thing from start to finish in a very slow and methodical way with minimal editing. And I'm showing you what it looks like from the beginning to the end with the taste test. It is clear, I think, to most people that don't hate me, or don't hate us, that I'm not faking really anything there, you know? So that's kind of, that. that that's another thing too. It I feel like it solves a lot of problems by having those longer videos. Mm-hmm. And I hate saying that though in the comment, like, oh, just watch, like it, it came out perfect for me in the video. That's not really giving a solution to no, their problem. No, it's not. Yeah, it's, it's not. Yeah, I think the solution that you you presented. Yeah. About this, about like making sure the the lid is fitting tightly, or or maybe even like the heat being a little bit too high. I think is. Yeah. Is fine. And that which could have a very large effect uh, change if the heat yeah. is a little bit higher, or even if the lid is like cracked just the oh, slightest yeah. bit. Slightest bit cracked, yeah. you will lose all you will lose all of it yeah. in three hours. So I just want to wrap this up before we get into the taste test right here. I just went downstairs to get uh, some forks, knives, and napkins. You just got to save the food, the bread that you have. Don't throw it out. Potatoes, you know, you can think ahead, portion them, and really kind of expand, open your mind to the fact that expensive stuff doesn't necessarily mean it's better. I think that throws a lot of people off. Mm-hmm. What do you What do you think about that? Yeah, but I think people who are looking to save money aren't necessarily, like, they don't want to spend the money. But maybe they think that, oh, it's not going to be that good. And I would just try to, like, rewire the brain there. Some of the best food 
-hmm. Some of the best food is so inexpensive. Mm -hmm. That's true. I mean, people commit this all the time. You go was, to an expensive restaurant, you think it like a two two star, three star restaurant. Meanwhile, the guy in the food truck outside has better food than the rest yeah, than the restaurant does. That's true. And you know, as we're, we're talking about this, I mean, I know we we're kind of keeping our focus on Italian American or uh, Italian food, but when we're talking about like the the concept of the the pasta and the either like the grains and the legumes, I mean, my head went right to the Puerto Rican arroz con gondulas. That's what, that's that what I That is yeah. one of my favorite things yeah. ever. And that is that same concept. It's the rice and the, yeah. the peas. I know. So good. And some of this stuff is just like, it's it's the simplest food, but Simple. it's the most comforting and it's it's delicious. It does not have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be expensive. So we hope you helped, helped you there. Hope we gave you some uh, good ideas. Now we're gonna get into the taste test. Okay, so Tara went to Uncle Giuseppe. You got these? Yes. Okay. So this is pretty cool. This is a croissant. Uh, it's actually a cor Cornetto, right? Cornetto. Cornetto, sorry. Okay. Cornetto. Um, I talked about it in a previous episode yeah. that I loved when I was in Italy. I loved to eat a Cornetto for breakfast with a cappuccino. And that I tried buying them here when I came back and they just yeah. weren't the same. So I figured, let me try another another brand. It seemed like Uncle Giuseppe's had quite a few different brands okay. of these. What it, This is labeled as Crema al Chocolato yeah. uh, Croissants. We're going to link everything that we're tasting uh, here. And so if you want to, you know, if you want to try to find it, you can. I don't know. This one might be a little difficult to find. Somebody did tell me that Italy has, they make these. They actually make them they there. They make them. They oh, make them. I, that would I, be listen, worth there's a trip. bakeries that make them here too. I mean, yeah. there has to be. It's just not something that like I typically look for. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm curious to, to give up. these a try. Let's open see that how up. they are. All right. And the brand is Dora Three. Dora with the number three next to it. Okay. And then what I'm holding here is something called. St. Joseph's Pastry. So St. Joseph's Pastry is basically you're making a patasha, patasha, how do you say it? Patasha. Patasha. God, God, these words. All these words today. <laughs> um, it's called patasha. Patasha. Didn't you take French? Yeah. Patasha. Patasha. Okay. I, I'm probably saying it wrong too. <laughs> so what you do is you make your dough. It's like a very satiny dough. You put it in a pastry bag with a pretty thick star tip and you start from the middle of it and you pipe it out to about three inches or four inches in circumference and you continue to go and you continue to pipe till you do your second layer. So for those who are watching, you can see what I mean, how there's a first layer and second layer. Then what you do is you bake these and then you make a pastry cream. So you can make your pastry cream while it's baking, but your pastry cream needs to be chilled. So this will take you a few hours to do everything. You can do the pastry cream in advance too, which isn't a bad idea. Pastry cream also goes in a star tip. This pastry cream is chouette. I made them yesterday or two days ago, and my pastry cream was too thick. It was like a thick custard. So I was didn't think I had perfect photos, so I made pastry cream again, and then I made it too thin, okay? And that's why it should look like a nice star tip and it star pattern too. And it's not. But this now, is also sitting in the fridge too. I know. I'm a perfectionist. So so anyway, the, the amount of to make the perfect pastry cream, I, I honestly think you're better off not even going by exact weight measurements for whatever recipe you follow. You have to go by feel, which believe it or not, is how bakeries do a lot of things. Everybody thinks like it's all science behind it, but if you can be having the exact right measurements if your pastry cream looks like that. You done messed up, okay? That's the thing, right? Yeah. So we're going to taste test that, and we're going to taste test the croissant. Are we going to say which one we think is better? I don't think we should. It's no, like comparing no. apples to And by oranges. the way, those, those say on the bag that they're better heated up. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to just eat it. Oh, these are kind of big. Yeah. I feel like this is almost like the size of a Twinkie package or like a Drake's... Yeah. Cake, so it's like the Italian version of one of those snack cakes. Yes. That maybe you would you would buy here in a Seven Eleven or a deli. 
Okay, so that does not look like a Cornetto. <laughs> and somebody told me they because I put these all up on I put everything up on Instagram uh, yesterday. They told me like my husband ate them and did not like them, but we're gonna find that out. It doesn't even look like what's in the picture. Yeah, that kind of looks weak. All right, let's uh, not. What's okay? Okay, so for every listener out there. These supposed to be like a cornetto, and a cornetto would have lots of layers, like a croissant. Yeah, and yeah. A, and a lot more filling. This looks like it's um, not much. Okay, not much filling. All right, well, let's try that one first. Okay, and then we will try the St. Joseph's pastry. People are going to want ratings here, just as how we did in our other taste test videos. So, Tara, like. Give it, I don't what do you think how, about this? So I don't even know how, how to be fair and, and give it a rating. I mean, I'm going to just talk about what it what yeah. it tastes like. It does not taste at all like a croissant to me. It no. definitely does not taste like a Cornetto. It's kind of bready. It has a more bread-like, maybe a brioche type of consistency. That's what it reminds me of, a brioche. Yeah, and it has just a minimal spread of chocolate in there. So is it better than an American snack cake? I would say it's probably on par. On par, yeah. It's not any better. It's Kevin, not all that any, Italian. All that Italian yeah, language on I there mean, doesn't mean anything. It's not any better. It's not any worse. I mean, would I, would I buy it again? No, I wouldn't because no. I, I don't. So, on a scale of zero to ten, ten being the best, zero being the worst, what does this get? I'm gonna give it a five. I mean, it's like, it doesn't. Here's the thing. I mean, it doesn't taste bad. It doesn't. It just doesn't it taste doesn't. like what what I was hoping it to be. So. All right, I'm gonna give it a three. Okay. Because I don't want to be starting with five and then, you know, when we have better stuff, like I don't. I mean, it's got to be hard to make something like that and then package it. I so I I get it. Yeah. You know. All right. Well, let's go to the St. Joseph's pastry, or it's called Zeppoli di San Giuseppe. Yes. Okay. So this is so you made this one. Yes, these are made by me, me. Do you want me to rate this? Yeah, you can rate it. I, I mean, just again, like I said on starting in the beginning, the cream, the second batch of cream that I put on top is I scraped off the old one that was like a little thick. I didn't even do the same cream. Instead of the it's supposed to have vanilla in it, but I used what is that stuff called? Fiori di Sicilia. Yeah, so I use that stuff, which is, what is that? That's a mix of vanilla and- It's kind of like orange blossom water and yeah. vanilla mixed together. It is outrageous. The well, I smell used too is, much of it. I don't think it's too much. Okay. I think this one needed to be a little sweeter. I didn't, yeah, and I mixed, I messed it up. Now, I didn't put I enough taste, sugar. I ate one last night, so I already taste tested Yeah, this, Sammy's eating gonna, like three of them already. Th they're, they're good. I mean, I'm gonna take a, a bite right now, even though right, I know what ahead. it tastes like. You didn't um, give an even division of the the cherry. You can have the cherry, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It must be love. It is. All right, hold on. Mm. <laughs> is there any of the original custard in there still, or not, or is it all just a second custard? I don't know. I think I got too much cherry juice. I might need to test it, taste it again. Okay. All I taste was the cherry juice. Hmm. Hold on. Let me take a bite of this, this one. I don't think we need to rate my own homemade creations. We can, no. but that's pretty damn good. It's really good. I think the cream needs a little bit more sugar, like it, like it was the day before. Yeah, the original recipe, the cream has yeah. more sugar. I love the Fiori di Sicilia in the cream. Okay. If you have it, add it. Yeah. Right? If you don't, then or, just you can use vanilla. The recipe is not even on the site yet. It's going to be up. No, it will, it will by be, the time this By the time you listen to this, it will be up. I would say if you want to use the Fiori de Cecilia, you can do half of that and then the rest vanilla. I think it, for me, for my taste, it's a little too much. But yeah, the original batch, the hardest part of doing this is just going to be getting your pastry cream right. You're better off making your pastry cream on the thicker side because you can thin with milk, just like a teaspoon at a time. If you make it too thin from the get-go, it's harder to thicken it because you already you already did your mixing. Basically, you want it when you're putting it in your pastry bag and it does not run out of your star tip. If it's dripping out through the bottom when you're holding it like this, it's too thin. I'm still really happy. This is, my, this is the first time I made these things. I, well, maybe I made them one time in the past, but. I just want to add the Fiori di Sicilia is actually a King Arthur. Special like King Arthur. It, King Arthur made it. That King Arthur made it. I think it's supposed to be based on 
an Italian ingredient, which is called millefiore. Millefiore, yeah. Which means a thousand flowers. But I have millefiore and it is different. It doesn't have that vanilla component. It tastes like kind of straight neroli, which is orange blossom. Yeah, so this, yeah, well, that's exactly what it is. King Mm -hmm. Arthur's, on their website, it is a mix of orange blossom Mm -hmm. water and vanilla. Yep, Yep. I'm gonna give that like a eight and a half. That's what I would give it to. Yeah. It needs to be, unfortunately for these pastries, when you're making these things, it's not just about the taste, which the original, the original pastry cream, the taste is a 10, mm-hmm. but I didn't get the perfect look, and that's important. I don't know. It tastes pretty good to me, but I just gave you that because I think it needs to be a little bit sweeter. Okay. Let's do the questions. Jim, this question comes from Geraldine. Hello, Jim and Tara. I love the name of your podcast, and I'm wondering how you came up with it. Did you have interesting runner-ups, perhaps using your first or last names to name the podcast? Who came up with the name Sip and Feast? And were the two of you in agreement about the name right off the bat? Thanks for the great podcast. Well, Ger- Geraldine, I by by the sound of your question, you just found the podcast, which honestly I love because that's what we're trying to do is get people to find the podcast on its own and not just trying to get, I guess, like our existing audience. And as far as our existing audience, the name Sip and Feast has been around for over six years now because that's when I started our website. And, you know, I say our website, it's, it is 100% Tara and I now, but uh, originally it was just me, you know, Tara had her, Tara had her job. As far as like the name goes, I was searching for names and, you know, if you try to get a name, uh, a domain name, it's called, so say bobsflowers.com, it's going to be taken and then bobsflowers2.com is going to be taken too. And Larry's Flowers is going to be taken and et cetera. It's really hard to find a name that's not taken. There are kind of like, I don't know if I want to call, I don't want to talk bad about them, but there are companies that will just buy up hundreds, if not thousands of domain names and never do anything with them. They're just holding on to them to sell it to you when you need it and for a very inflated price. So anyway, I kept looking. It was a lot that I liked. This one was available, so I got it. And I remember calling Tara at work that day. I was like, what do you think of that? She's like, I love it, you know? So I was surprised it wasn't taken. I mean, Sip and Feast sounds so, it sounds like it could be a restaurant or a food store or, yeah. you know. Yeah, and then you get one and you're like, oh, well, now is it, does somebody else have the name? And then there's going to be like a battle like trademark battle and whatnot, but I was able to trademark it. There's like another brand, it's called, I think it's called First We Feast, but I don't know if that's the name or just a, I think it's like a YouTube thing. So there is like a couple, and there's probably other feast things. Honestly, I don't know. I, I There is nothing though that is our, that resembles our name. So it worked out and yeah, and I, I would th- like to put my name in the podcast, but but I haven't done that yet. And I'm not sure. It could be like Sip and Feast with Jim and Tara. Yeah, I think we could definitely do that. Going back to when we first started or when you first started, really, the Sip component was supposed to be a little bit more, right? Mm. The original idea for the website would be drinks and food. But as we evolved, the drink portion of of our website as you'll see, is a lot lighter yeah. than the food components. We so, don't really put any more drinks on it anymore. We have a couple that we've shot that aren't on there. We have, I believe, 40 drink recipes on the site. We have, this is actually number 40 podcast. So you have 40 and 40. And then we have over 420 recipes. Yeah, Oddly enough. Food recipes. Oddly enough, our number one recipe on our website by traffic is the limoncello spritz. Yeah, that one that one does well. There's a couple other ones, but that's always high up there. And uh, that's, a, that's a very simple recipe, but I think it's very popular during the summer. So Geraldine, I hope that answered your question. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for becoming, thank you for finding us without finding us through the cooking videos. <laughs> Are you ready for the next question? I am ready. Jim, this comes from Dominic. Jim, like most New Yorkers, I'm half Italian and half Irish. <laughs> And in an attempt to honor my Irish side, I made your shepherd's pie last year for St. Patty's Day. 
I'm thinking of doing it again this year, but wanted to ask, what are some of your other favorites to make for this holiday? Well, thanks, Dominic. I am half Italian as well. I have Irish in me. I have French in me. I probably have something else in me. Okay. But that's the thing. I always take the Italian side because that's the thing that is completely what my mother is. And everybody's a little Irish, I always say, on St. Patrick's Day. And, you know, you could also be a hunt. You could just say you're 100% Irish if you want. I used to have fun going to the parade. And for many years, we, we did that in the city. As far as food, Dominic, you got shepherd's pie covered. Corned beef and cabbage, if you don't want to do it. Some people think it's really bland, think it's boring. The problem with corned beef and cabbage is if you try to make it taste really good, you're not making corned beef and cabbage anymore. Do you agree with that, Tara? Yeah, I mean, corned beef and cabbage is just really basic, but it's good for what it is. I mean, it's boiled meat with some with some spices and boiled potatoes, boiled carrots, boiled cabbage. Yeah, I like a lot of nice mustard, mustard on yeah. it. Yeah. A lot of mustard I like. Uh, I think in, to make it better, I would probably get the best cut of, of corned beef that you can, the best brisket that you can. We're actually, it's, I think it's coming up this week. So it will be, it'll, you'll be listening to this a few days after the video for Irish beef stew or Guinness beef stew. So I made a beef stew and it's probably like our fifth beef stew and all beef stews are essentially the same, but this one has Guinness in it. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. It's delicious. Yeah. Um, what about Irish soda bread. Yeah, Irish soda bread is excellent. Tower, it's Tower's recipe. It's she's perfected it. She's made it so many times over the years. So we were we were really happy to put that one on the site. Uh, I also, I mean, I love hers. I think it's better, but I also really like a soda bread with caraway seeds in it. Mm-hmm. And it's not for everybody. You can put it in in my recipe. Yeah. I usually just put the the raisins in it though. Yeah. Um, because that's my my preference. Yeah. But it is good with the caraway. It's just a little bit. It's a little bit different. Yeah. And I like you have a have a bit of Irish blood in me. Yeah, everybody in New York, like you know, you're, you're every like I say, you're always you're, you're all Irish on uh, on St. Patty's. Well, Day. my name is Irish too. Is Borum an Irish name? Huh? Borum is Dutch. Yeah, my first name is Irish. Tara, Tara. I was like going to say Borum. Yeah, Borum's Dutch. Borum is used to be Von Borum, and yeah. there's Borum and Hill Borum in, in, in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn. Yeah. which is back when Brooklyn belonged to. Belong to the Dutch before the English That's right. took it over. This is going to be sacrilege here because it's not Irish. But what am I thinking of? See, can you read my mind? Are it's you a, thinking of a Reuben? No, but that's good. But it's 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 at fairs, food festivals for St. Patty's Day. Yeah. So this is this is this is Scottish. Oh, a Scotch egg. A Scotch egg. It's probably not even Scottish. It's probably like yeah, British. Yeah, I, I don't know. I yeah. mean, the place that we used to go to in Minnesota, the Irish bar there, McGarry's, they had they had them. They used to yeah. call them Blarney Stones. Blarney Stones, yeah. But they were the Scotch egg, and they have, um, it's like a, a hard-boiled egg that's encased with- Sausage. The banger, like meat. The yeah. Irish banger, that meat that's removed from the casing. Yeah. Bangers and mash are just really good. Or Colcannon also. Like I'm now I'm thinking of all this like Cole Irish Cannon, food. That's that's yeah. good. And brown brown bread is brown another bread, one. Yeah. Col Cannon. These are all ones that we gotta get on the site. Cole Cannon, you know, I mean, I would put some cheese in it at least <laughs> to make it better. I don't know. I like it with the yeah. with the greens. It's so good. Yeah. Well, Dominic, hopefully that helped you out a little bit. I mean, you could go on some sites and they got like Reuben quesadillas and, you know, um, Irish Irish nachos, you know, taking like potatoes. Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's a whole bunch of like silly things that you can do. And, uh, you know, it depends what, really what you're into. I don't think Irish people in Ireland eat corned beef and cabbage. They don't. They eat bacon. Bacon, supposedly bacon when... When the Irish came here, um, corned beef and cabbage was later on, but I believe bacon was the was largely the one that was consumed, and I think in Ireland. But I could be completely wrong about this. If you want to leave questions, leave them to podcast at sipandfeast.com. Feel free to do a video if you want. You can send that right through Instagram. It's easy that way. You could also send it again to podcast at sipandfeast.com. So this is the big 40. Tara, you got anything to close with? Thank you for listening. We appreciate all of your support so far. We hope you enjoy the taste test component. Yeah. Let us know, please. We always want your feedback. 
That this is this is important because I don't want to say like we're doing this from now on. I really would like to hear your feedback on it because I think it's really fun and you know I know people really liked the one the few that we did on the regular YouTube channel but uh we always thought that this would be the better place for the taste test. So if you really like them though, we could continue doing them. There is so many yeah ingredients and things that we can test. Yeah, and if you if you do like and you want us to continue, share your ideas with us. Absolutely. Things we can taste test. Absolutely. Go on, even if you're listening, you know, you go on the YouTube video, even if you don't wanna watch it, just leave a comment on there. That's the best way to communicate, uh, to let people know what you like. All right, until next time.